Imagine, if you will, a subsection of society hell-bent on believing in conspiracy theories that may tantalize the mind, but are loosely, if ever, based in fact. Tonight, I want to take you on a voyage, a journey of such, into some of the most widely believed conspiracy theories here in America. From alien invasions to school shootings, we'll examine the people behind it, relay my thoughts and opinions on the ones we cover, and explore their origin, ask questions that may or may not challenge your current beliefs. I'll share some of my thoughts on each, some harsher than others. Well, you know, you all know me by now. And I may also buy into a few of these. You'll have to listen to see. As always, it's your host, Joe Show, taking you on this conspiracy theory-laden, fan-requested episode. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Brain Droppings Podcast. Please join me as we delve into this gray area together. Uh, thank you for all the streams of my last podcast. Please share the podcast and help it continue to grow. Our last episode eclipsed our prior to break the audience by a large margin. And every new listener we can get will help this segment of local uh, to you business shoutouts. In this episode, we'll be highlighting a local favorite in the upstate New York area around Syracuse. Uh, which is known to locals up there as the go-to spot for lunch. This highlight was sent in by a loyal listener, and of course, I drove up there last week to check it out myself. And, um, yeah, it's pretty friggin' amazing and well worth the drive. So please keep the suggestions coming in. All correspondence is welcome, be it criticism, local shout-out requests, content-based, or my personal favorite, compliments to the brain droppings podcast that's brain droppings pod at gmail.com please remember that you can find this podcast anywhere you consume media be it itunes spotify google music TuneIn, radio.com iHeartRadio, or any apple or google amazon enabled device by simply asking for the latest episode of the brain droppings podcast so without any further ado, let's get into this episode. I think what I'm going to do to start um, right after the music bump is I'm going to get right into the local shout out. So that way it doesn't get, you know, lost in the episode and we can just cycle through these, these conspiracy theories that I've done some research on and, and share them with you unabridged. Um, so sit back. Music's about to kick in. As soon as it comes out, we'll start with the local shout out. Thanks for listening. Nothing like starting off a conspiracy theory creepy episode than with the X-Files theme song. Uh, but as I promised, going into the bump, we were going to come out and do the local business shout out. This one was uh, sent to me by one of our listeners. And this 
food establishment is located in upstate New York. They have three locations, two in Syracuse, one in Liverpool, New York. And the name of this business is The Brooklyn Pickle. It's a New York-style deli located in upstate New York. So, of course, I hadn't eaten there prior. And before I can do a local business shout-out, um, I want to have a point of reference. Fortunately for me, as we all know, prior to the pandemic, I was traveling quite extensively across the United States. So chances are, if you had sent in a local business uh, opportunity for me to check out in my travels, I would have had ample and plenty of opportunity to do so. However, over the last year. Um, I have to stay a little bit closer to my backyard until we get a little bit further along in the pandemic mitigation process. So that being said, Syracuse for me is about a five-hour drive from the house. Um, I have a lot of personal days and vacation days that didn't really use in 2020 because of all things considered. So instead... I took a day off last week um, after I released the last podcast and wanted to, I don't know, take a ride, kind of see New England a little bit. So I checked the weather, made sure I had a nice clean path, and uh, I drove up to Syracuse, New York, because I wanted to have lunch at the Brooklyn Pickle. Let me tell you, folks, first off, um, every single sandwich that they produce is gargantuan. It's almost two meals in one sandwich. Um, so when I got there, super friendly staff, very helpful, super busy too, which was great to see, especially during this pandemic. Um, I did a call ahead so that I could just do a quick pickup and then out. And that's some of their pandemic mitigation um, opportunities that they offer, curbside pickup. So when I was um, on the phone Placing my order, driving up, I had said, listen, I've never eaten there before. And as a new diner to your establishment, I'm going to rely heavily on your recommendation. Um, I didn't tell them that I did a podcast. I didn't tell them that they were going to be a shout out. In fact, they probably don't know. I'll have to tag them in on Twitter if they have a handle. Um, but I just wanted to do kind of have an unadulterated uh, recommendation from the staff. So they pushed me towards a sandwich called the Brooklyn Pickle sandwich. It's kind of their signature sandwich for the restaurant or for the deli. Um, so I got that. Let me just tell you, um, it, <laughs> it is an overstuffed corned beef, pastrami, Russian dressing, and Swiss cheese on a dark rye bread sandwich that is literally a little piece of heaven. I had it loaded. Um, so it had lettuce, it had tomato, it had onion. It was absolutely amazing. Now, I'm not a small guy, but I was I was only able to put away half of this sandwich um, when I got up there. So I picked up the sandwich, came with chips. Um, they have sandwiches, subs, every type of sandwich you can imagine, from Rubens to pastrami's to a Cajun turkey breast sandwich, Italian sandwiches, capicol, um, seafood sandwiches. It is truly a deli. But one of the things that... I, I think needs to be called out is the fact that when you're named the Brooklyn Pickle, you better have good damn pickles. Um, so while I was up there, I obviously added, added to my order the Brooklyn Kosher Dill Pickle. Um, it was wonderfully pickled. And when I say that, I mean, when you bite into a pickle, there should be a crisp. The inside should be white. It should not be neon green like you get at the grocery store. This pickle was amazing. They had half sours. Um, so I got a couple of half sours. Uh, it was amazing. They also 
don't necessarily subscribe to major brand chips. So they have a lot of um, the dirty brand. So they had dirty chips. With mine, I got mine with the pepper and sea salt dirty chips. Amazing. Uh, And then, of course, who doesn't finish a meal with some sort of dessert, right? So they had chocolate pudding, New York style cheesecake, homemade brownie with walnuts, cheesecake with berries, a cream cheese brownie, jumbo chocolate chip cookies. Um, It was amazing. So I ended up getting the cream cheese brownie and the jumbo chocolate chip cookie, just two of my own personal favorites. Both of them had that feeling of a homemade baked good. Um, My overall experience from a cost perspective, very affordable, a lot of food. I told you it's a multiple day part type of meal because you can't eat it all in one sitting. Pickles were amazing. I mean, it made the ride home that much better. So if you have an opportunity, give them a look up online. It's brooklynpickle.com. Like I said, there are three locations, uh, two in Syracuse, one in Liverpool, New York, and it is a great local stop. Stop in, say hi, help keep our small businesses afloat, especially during this extremely difficult time. It takes all of us. Um, I don't expect you to make a five and a half hour drive to check the place out, but it would be worth it. Um, There's a lot you can do up in the Syracuse area or on your way to and from, um, that can occupy your day and this can be a destination stop for you. So if you have an opportunity, give it a shout out. That's the Brooklyn Pickle uh, at brooklynpickle.com. Like I said, three locations in the Syracuse area, two in Syracuse, one in Liverpool, New York. The Brooklyn Pickle, always a good stop. All right, and now to the meat at hand, no pun intended after doing a great little local business shutout. Um, This episode is all based on conspiracy theories. Uh, I did one way back in season one, early when I started the podcast. And to be honest with you, I didn't put a lot of research into it. I was really just providing anecdotal uh, stories and thoughts about my own feeling of conspiracy theories. And it kind of, it was a good episode. It wasn't a great episode. So I've gotten some listener feedback asking me to revive, um, add add a little more life into this episode. this type of episode. So, you know, I'm a very diverse individual from a thought process. I I tend to find myself to be extremely logical and mechanical in my um, understanding and and want to understand of of different things. And I tend to not um, partake in the conspiracy theory world overall, because I'm very fact-based. And if you've listened to the podcast over the last year and a half, you've seen that, you know, you've heard that. I like facts. Facts, you know, can always fuck up a great argument. That's kind of my catchphrase is don't let tricky facts get in the way of a good argument. That being said, um, this episode, I wanted to do a little more research than I did last time. So what I did was, excuse me, just drinking a little tea to keep the voice going. Um, What I did in this episode for research was I went online and I wanted to find, you know, top believed conspiracy theories. So when I say that, it's indicative of a large swath of the U.S. population um, that believes in this. Now, percentage-wise, we're talking still in that single-digit percentage, 1% to 9% of the population. But hell, 9% of 340 million people is still a decent number, and frighteningly decent. Uh, So 
Let's get it off. First of all, it's not just a few loners on the internet that believe in conspiracy theories. Prior research indicates that half of the American public believes in at least one conspiracy theory in any given year. Think about that. We just said 340 million people. That's 170 million people annually subscribe to one conspiracy theory. That's frightening. That number is frightening. It's It could be an entirely different episode where we talk about the dumbing down of the population over the course of the last 50 years through the advent of technology, the internet, uh, rumor mills. You know, back in the day, rumor mills were spread by corded telephone. You know, when I was a kid, nobody had a cordless phone. That's dating myself, but it's true. We had rotary phones uh, or push. Actually, I take that back. I'm not that old. We had push button phones, but still they weren't cordless. Um, so rumors were a word of mouth. Um, there was no internet. Then the advent of technology transpired and we had the internet. And now these people, these tinfoil hat wearing individuals, you know, spouting their, their beliefs and their, their, understanding of, you know, manipulating facts to be more prominent in our everyday. And then occasionally you get a group of these people together and a story can then turn into an event and the event can then turn into fact, at least in their minds. So in this episode, we're going to look at a bunch of different, um, conspiracy theories that have cycled around the news, um, some modern and some not so modern and some actually part of history. But it's important to, to look at how and what were the drivers behind these conspiracy theories. What, what got a larger piece of the population at that time or currently to buy into these? So let's start, right? So, you know, the world as a whole is dealing with this horrific scourge of a pandemic. Um, it's not encapsulated into the United States. It's it's touched just about every single corner of the globe. In fact, I think I read something a couple of weeks ago that the first documented case of COVID-19 uh, has finally transpired at the Science Research Center in Antarctica. So it's touched everywhere. However, there is a large portion of the population that believes that there is a secret group controlling the world. This conspiracy proposes that a secret group called the Illuminati have been really controlling the world and is looking to create a one world government. We've heard this a lot. The previous president's administration referenced it in a afforded to lay credence to this conspiracy theory to a lot of people that were fringe believers. What does it cause? It causes people to go down the rabbit hole of Google or down the rabbit hole um, in YouTube videos and really try to, to sort this out. Um, they're, they're saying that the Illuminati have been controlling the world and are, are looking for this one world government. Their end goal is supposedly to create the new world order in which we dissolve national boundaries and people's identities while allowing for a total authoritarian control. I, I don't see it, peeps. I mean, to know me is to know I'm a fairly educated individual, um, not only through academia, but I also consider myself worldly through travel and experience. 
I'm not sure about this one. I mean, you, you really couldn't get me on board with this if you tried. Um, there's a version of the theory that also sees other groups in similar position of world domination. The Freemasons, the Jewish people, um, the Bilderberg group or the globalists that are often invoked in right-wing media outlets like Alex Jones and Breitbart. And Alex Jones, let me talk, you want to talk about a snake oil salesman propagating conspiracy theory and falsehoods? We'll talk about Alex Jones. I might even do an impression of Alex Jones because I, I loathe this individual to that degree for the disinformation spreading that his organization, when it was uh, viable, and I don't believe it's viable anymore, I'm pretty sure that there was a lawsuit that that dissolved InfoWars. Um, however, some of these conspiracy theories that we'll talk about in this episode oddly cycle and circle around Alex Jones and InfoWars back in, you know, the, the early to mid-2000s. So, Let's continue on, right? So President Trump himself mentions globalists and invokes fighting against insidious elites as a battle cry for his base. And that's that's real. I mean, it, when you look at the the attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, um, whether you believe that the former president incited the riot or not, one thing that is undeniable is that Separate from the speech that transpired up the street from the Capitol that supposedly whipped this uh, this crowd into a frenzy and and then marched them down to the Capitol to to you know participate I guess is the right word in a, an armed insurrection of our United States Capitol whether you buy that part of it that that's on you you know that and that's that's open to discussion we just went through I don't want to get down this rabbit hole but we just went through uh, a second impeachment of the former president of the United States Donald J Trump and unfortunately the house managers were not able to coherently and cohesively uh, make the case that would have caused 17 Republican senators to move uh, to a guilty verdict um, rather than acquittal because of procedural issues as well as some of, you know, being caught doing some of the showmanship that is done in almost every trial by almost every trial attorney that has ever existed on the planet, which is you manipulate data sometimes to fit your narrative better. I mean, that's it's politics, that's courtroom battles, that's evidentiary release, it's 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 all of that and then some. However, I digress. Um, the Capitol. So it's undeniable that a vast majority of the individuals that were actually engaged in the storming of the Capitol were these far right extremists. They were the ones that were armed. They were the ones with body paint on and fatigue and, you know, battle dress uniforms for, for military, uh, paramilitary and, and showing up and espousing these, um, these conspiracy theories. In fact, one of the more famous photos to come out of the January 6th attack on the Capitol is that of a 27 year old failed actor with red, white, and blue face paint on and a dead animal carcass hat uh, with horns on it, claiming that he is the QAnon shaman. Okay? I'm not going to go down the QAnon um, 
rabbit hole today, mainly because I don't want it to show up in my Google search history. But secondly, I, I just cannot lay any value to 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 people that are that so that are so deluded um and believe everything is their way you know what i mean and then there's no opportunity for discourse or or conversation it's just you know black or white and to to know me is to know i love to live in the gray you know nothing's ever truly black and white there's always a shade of gray uh but they do believe in this globalist opportunity in the Illuminati and the, you know, in the, the one world order. And, um, you can go further down. I mean, some of the, the, the opinions that they espouse, it's, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you, you struggle to find the right words to describe people, to not offend people too harshly. Um, but yes, the opinions that they expound, uh, are sometimes so comical, so diluted, so scary. And, and, you know, I'll go so far as to say so dangerous, in the wrong hands that, um, I don't want to give them any, any airtime other than to say, I do not subscribe to anything. I do not subscribe to Pizzagate. I do not dis- which was a, a conspiracy theory centered around, uh, Washington elite utilizing a pizza joint, um, as a cross dock, I guess, of sorts for child, um, child, uh, trafficking. It, it, again, so diluted so wrong. But that is that secret group conspiracy theory that people actually buy into. Um, I think enough on that. You know what I mean? Like that's not one I, I enjoy talking about. It's just one I wanted to call out because it's, it's prescient. It's something that's transpiring in our society. And I, I do feel, you know, here we are, uh, I'm recording this on the 21st of February, but here we are over a month since the inauguration of President Joe Biden. Uh, and what I've noticed, whether it's through um, less media coverage or just a quieter silencing um, from a media perspective of these extreme groups, but what I'm seeing is less and less um, microphones being afforded to these individuals that expound these theories. I know that they have one in, uh, they have a Senator from Georgia or now house representative, excuse me, from Georgia, who's, um, pretty tied in with these QAnon folk. And, uh, outside of that though, it seems like it's gotten quite quiet. Now I'll take you back. How about we go back, I don't know, 21 years, uh, to September 11th, 2001. So that would be 20 years. I'm really not that great at math. Um, So 20 years ago, we had on September 11th, the attacks on New York City, the Pentagon, uh, as well as, unfortunately, the downing of, I believe it was United Airlines Flight 93 um, in Kecksburg. Ooh, I don't really remember the exact location, but it was downed in a field in Pennsylvania um, by the passengers rebelling against the hijackers, uh, with the target being the United States Capitol. So, you know, many of you that are listening were born, um, during that time frame. I happen to have been born as well. <laughs> so that's good. Um, I was closer to, let's see, in 2000, I was 26 years old. Um, so things were good, um, on September 10th and then September 11th transpired. And in the aftermath of 
well, actually not even in the aftermath, during the unfolding, there was a lot of um, conspiracy theories being spouted. Initially it was, I don't know if you remember, but you could see the devil in the smoke above the towers as they burned. There was an image that supposedly showed Satan. Um, Those were, in hindsight, the harmless conspiracy theories that transpired because following that, there was a community of people that dubbed themselves truthers. And they've emerged around the idea that the terrorist attacks on 9-11 were actually orchestrated by the United States government, stemming from the White House and George Bush itself. They believed that the Bush administration had advanced knowledge of the attacks and allowed them to happen so that they could invade Iraq and advance their agenda. Let that sink in a second. You're telling me that the President of the United States and his administration were aware, his entire intelligence community, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, were all aware that this attack was going to transpire and chose to do nothing so that they could invade Iraq and advance their agenda? I struggle with this one, and I'll tell you why. Because in 1993, I enlisted in the United States Air Force as a 19-year-old kid, okay? At that time, we were less than one year removed from George Bush Sr. invading Kuwait and the 40 days and 40 nights of bombing that transpired therefore after, um, which really was the precipice for his son's war in Iraq. I don't think, with Saddam Hussein still in power, that George Bush Jr., George W. W. Bush, um, I'm not 100% sure, I'm not even 1% sure, that he needed that type of excuse to invade Iraq at that time, given the unrest in the Middle East at that time. I think these truthers tend to negate the world news that was transpiring in the time frame between 1998 and 2001. Truthers claim that the jet fuel from planes wasn't even enough to melt the steel beams of the World Trade Center towers, which were actually brought down by a controlled demolition. So think about this. Not only does the... Think about the number of people. That's where these conspiracy theories tend to fall apart. Think about the number of people that would have had to been, quote unquote, in on the job, right? So you have your upper brass at the FBI, the CIA, the NSA. Now, on top of that, you have anybody, anybody of the 3,000 plus individuals. And if you remember on September 11th, that Tuesday morning, I'll never forget it. But if you remember that day um, at the time of the attacks, This was when the least amount of people, and there were still over 3,000 casualties, the least amount of people would have been in the towers. So you're telling me that in the days or weeks leading up to that, when say there was double that, say there were 6,000 people on any given day coming in and coming out of the, the World Trade Center towers, didn't notice the guys walking up and placing C4 on beams dressed as construction workers? Come on now. There's no, there's no fact behind that. It's just, it's thought. Um, it should be noticed 
and should be noted that that theory regarding jet fuel has not only been debunked by science, and if you've been alive in the last 18 months, one thing that we have heard at nauseum is follow the science, right? Follow the science. You'll find your way to the truth. Follow the science. You want to do the right way? Follow the science. So if you follow the science, jet fuel can absolutely melt steel beams. It's not questionable. Um, so the theory was, of course, widely debunked, uh, but it still continues to live on. I, you know, I, I choose not to do it, but if you, I did it for this research, you want go in there, put in 9-11 truther and look at the, the sheer volume of results that Google pre- provides for you. Go on YouTube and pull, put in 9-11 inside job and look. Look at the sheer volume of um, conspiracy theory videos around this topic. It is so frightening to me. And one reason for the idea's longevity, I think, is that the historical facts did prove that the war in Iraq was justified using incorrect information about the proposed existence of weapons of mass destruction. However, just because I have apples and then I have oranges, the apple, outside of being a fruit, is not necessarily related to the orange. So what do I mean by that? Well, the apple being the attack on the Twin Towers and the orange being the supposed existence of weapons of mass destruction do not correlate in my mind's eye. If you remember that time frame, the invasion of Iraq, based off the premise of weapons of mass destruction being stored in and around Baghdad, that was the premise for the, that was the fear, or that was the catalyst for attacking Iraq. Osama bin Laden was in Afghanistan. That's where we believed that he was operating from. The exiled Saudi was operating across and around Afghanistan and southern Iraq. I think what we're what we're seeing here is this is where a grain of truth or a loose correlation can be wound around a fairy tale or a story that that assists people in understanding things. Now, specifically with the 9/11 um, events and the truthers, as they call themselves. I believe, you know, just an educated look in at the thought process. I think this may just be um, how some people deal with grief, you know, with the unexplained. And not everything in the world is easily explained. We know this. If it was, we'd know everything. And we know less about the floor of the ocean than we do about the surface of the moon. So let that sink in for a second. So what have we created about, you know, and 
not to diverge too far from conspiracy theories, but when you start thinking about what our species has fantasized about living at the bottom of the ocean since the dawn of time and the, the beginning of written language, it's through and because of not having an understanding of what's down there. So we always try to seek a logical answer. And sometimes that, that process of seeking the logic takes us down a rabbit hole of illogical thought, innuendo, assumption, rumor, and then conspiracy theories. So let's, let's go to a fun one, you know, because that's, I, I, I still to this day, and I, it's so weird because here I am in my late forties now, but to this day, talking about the attacks of September 11th brings back vivid, lucid memories to me. I know what I was doing when the first plane hit. I know what I was doing when the second plane hit. I know what was happening when the plane struck the Pentagon. I know what happened and what I was doing when the plane went down in the field in Pennsylvania. I, I, I can literally close my eyes and be brought back at the time I was living in Gainesville, Florida. Um, I can tell you how glued to the TV I was for so many days of nonstop coverage. Um, all of the images like burned into my brain. It's, it, it elicits an emotional response from me. So, you know, not that I don't want to feel, uh, of course, I, I just don't think that I, I don't think that finally tracking down Osama bin Laden and executing him offered me the type of closure for that event. I feel like it was a grain of salt when I needed a pound of sand, if that makes sense. But needless to say, um, let's move on to a funner one, because sometimes conspiracy theories can be amusing. Um, there's only one frightening stat in this next one, but it doesn't make it any less interesting. So there is a conspiracy theory that lizard people, a.k.a. reptilians, are running the world. This is a very sci-fi Hollywood vari variation on secret groups controlling us, famously championed, championed by Dick Icky, a professor of conspiracy theorists from Britain, who is also a big player in the truther movement. But the idea also has the support, I hope you're sitting down, from 12 million Americans. That's according to a 2013 national survey. What they believe is that the top echelon of our government is actually controlled by shape-shifting reptilian aliens who've been lording over humans to make them into mindless slaves for their own purposes. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Let's think about that. Now, I'm sure if you haven't been living under a rock for the last decade, you've heard the oft-mentioned almost conspiracy theory joke that Mark Zuckerberg is a reptilian. He doesn't blink. Um, he has a lizard-like face. You know, that I get. That's kind of funny. That's just poking, um, poking fun at a powerful figure. However, to believe or to think that 12 million Americans actually support the belief that our government is controlled by shape-shifting reptilian aliens? That's a little one. That's a tough one to swallow. There's absolutely 
zero proof. Um, there's no basis for fact. In this particular conspiracy theory, there's absolutely not even a grain of salt that would be considered factual that you could whip a story around. This is a completely and totally um, technology timeline based conspiracy theory. This is where you get a bunch of people, like I mentioned earlier, that sit in the fringes of society, but yet have a presence online and create content. And that content is digested by individuals who either lack um, a certain ability to understand things or just fully subscribe to, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Um, in either case, it's frightening to me. 12 million Americans. Now, I've met a lot of Americans. <laughs> I've met a lot of people in the world community over my existence. Um, I have never run into somebody who I would consider a believer of this particular conspiracy theory, but it's out there and it, it should be noted. Um, if you want to go a little bit further back in history, uh, get outside the technological age and go to probably one of the first widespread conspiracy theories consumed by as close to the modern era as you can get. And that would be the JFK assassination. Now, in my previous podcast, we talked about this, um, but I'm not sure I provided the, you know, the, the content behind it. So, with the JFK assassination, as we all know, I believe it was November 3rd, 1963, he was um, assassinated in Dallas in a motorcade while driving through uh, from a single gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, from, I believe it was the sixth story of the book depository, um, with a sniper, you know, basically a sniper style rifle. 51% um, of Americans believed that there was a conspiracy behind the assassination of John F. Kennedy in a large national survey done in 19, in 2013. I know it's a little dated, but that's the most recent national survey I could find regarding uh, conspiracy theory, so I might reference it as I go through here. The popularity of this particular theory stems from the horrific murder in 1963 of President Kennedy and the subsequent lack of clear, satisfying explanation for who was really behind it. While the shooter... Lee Harvey Oswald, got the official blame, parties as divergent as the CIA, KGB, or the mob have been implicated in the public consciousness. The particulars of the theories focus on analyzing whether there was just one gunman and if more shots were fired than officially claimed. Now, we'll, we'll seize on that portion of it. You know, and again, historical context is always always important when you're looking at a conspiracy theory. You have to look at the news outside of the theory that was transpiring in the world community at the time in which the event that transpired did to lend um, a, an air of understanding into a greater picture. And what do I mean by that? Well, 1963 was the height, one of the heights of the Cold War. In 1963, uh, in the year prior, we had the Bay of Pigs, uh, embargo over Cuba. We had multiple assassination attempts on the leader of Cuba, Fidel Castro. Um, we were at a stalemate with the Soviet Union and Russia. Um, there was a lot of uh, unrest in regards to um, belief that 
the the country was um, cycling down the wrong path. There were a lot of things going on. So it's not outside the realm of believability that clarity on the assassination of the president of the United States of America wouldn't really be that clear. You wouldn't want it to be that clear cut. You wouldn't want the world news to be president of the United States of America assassinated by U.S. resident in Dallas during motorcade. That's that's the truth, but we wanted to dig deeper. So we had to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. And unfortunately, there was a confluence of events that transpired that didn't allow for all the evidentiary evidence to come out. Lee Harvey Oswald was also killed by Jack Ruby, a Dallas bar owner, who, when we start looking at their histories, you look at Lee Harvey Oswald history. He was a communist. He was a believer in communism. He was... um, uh, he traveled to, to Moscow and traveled to Russia prior to 1963. Um, he was a sympathizer for Cuba. Now you look at Jack Ruby, the guy that killed Lee Harvey Oswald. He had ties to organized crime. So all these theories start coming in. You can start drawing your your red strings across the, the pins on the map to try to make your lines of, of connection. But sometimes the easiest direction from point to point is a straight line. And at the end of the day, the president of the United States was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald, a U.S. citizen. That's what happened. It happened in Dallas. It was a cool day in Dallas. The motorcade had the the top down. The president was in a vulnerable spot. He was hit. Now, whether there were multiple gunmen or whether or not this was some sort of um, organized assassination, that, I think, is is a different divergent uh, theory in that when you look at the history, when you look at the news of the time, even if it was an organized assassination attempt across multiple agencies or governments or world leaders. If you're the United States of America during the Cold War, that's the last thing you want to show. You don't want to show your vulnerability and security protocols that afforded the opportunity for this to transpire. I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon. I mean, I watch, don't get me wrong, sadly, and and, and I apologize for this every time I mention it, but I watch a shitload of Law & Order SVU, a shitload of CSI, um, Miami, LA, in New Orleans. Um, I watch a shitload of documentaries, 48 hours, datelines. Um, even with that type of background, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that from a security perspective, you wouldn't want the world community to know that it's that easy to kill a president of the United States of America. That is a piece of information you don't want to get out to the rest of the world, and specifically during the Cold War. Which is why I think this conspiracy theory may have a couple of grains of truth. And do I believe that now, you know, 1963 to 2021, would now be an okay time to release documents, to uh, openly discuss whether or not there was an additional gunman, whether or not there was an organized 
plot to assassinate the president of the United States in 1963, yeah, I believe now would be an okay time to do that. I think all the players that were were active during that time frame, for the most part, are largely out of the game and or dead. Um, so there would be an opportunity to do such. And that's where the Freedom of Information Act comes in. Um, enough time has passed at this point where I think should there be additional pieces of information that would shed um, a broader light on the incident would be applicable? Sure. Me personally, I've watched this Bruder film a thousand times, just like most Americans. Um, actually, most people in the world community have probably watched it a bunch of times as well. Do I believe he was hit by multiple gunmen? Personally, um, it looks very probable to me, the layperson um, who has shot a long range rifle before and seen the devastation and destruction that it can do from a distance, but also have fired uh, handguns and shorter rifles and seen the destruction that they can do from a closer range. Um, looking at the the bullet trajectories across the, the incident, looking at the way the president slumps and then slumps, it's almost impossible for me to assume or to, to believe that an individual 60 feet up, um, I forget, it was 100 and something yards away, uh, takes a shot, hits, takes a shot, hits. The, the trajectory of the bullets don't make sense to me. Um, that being said, do I really give a shit? I don't. Honestly, I don't. Somebody murdered the president of the United States. That person should have been held accountable for that and should have been brought to trial. Unfortunately, a ne'er-do-well in Jack Ruby then assassinated the assassinator in Lee Harvey Oswald, um, thus silencing the only voice outside of the government, the only voice that could have given a true and complete understanding of what transpired. We were robbed of that that day. Jack Ruby robbed the American public of the confession and the backstory history from Lee Harvey Oswald on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And that's where we'll leave that one. So let's let's continue on, right? Because, you know, John F. Kennedy is very famous um, for having that State of the Union address, or I don't even think it was a State of the Union. Talk about history getting clouded over time. Um, I believe it was... Um, one of his one. I, I've heard the speech a thousand times. I can't tell you what the premise of where that speech was given, but he's very famous for saying, "I want to land a man on the moon in the next ten years, and not because it's easy, but because it's hard." Um, I hear that when I go to NASA in Cape Canaveral, they play it on the loudspeaker. It's like a rallying cry for NASA. Um, however. Let's fast forward. You know, President Kennedy passed away in 63. Now it's 1969 and we're about to land on the moon. And what comes after that? Well, people think we faked the moon landing. One of the most scientific and significant scientific and political achievements in the last century was landing on the moon. It often comes under attack. Some people believe that the landing didn't even happen. And that its appearance was orchestrated by NASA, the American government, as part of a Cold War to raise the national pride and one-up our arch-rival at the time, the Soviet Union. Supporters of the idea point to such things as the flag appearing to move in photos from the moon, something that should not happen since there's no wind in space. That was disproved by pointing out that the flag only appears to move during the movement of the unfurling, something of which would happen even without wind. Uh, a variation of the theory goes 
as so far as to say that the famous film director Stanley Kubrick, Clockwork Orange, um, was the creative mastermind of the faked footage of the landing. So let's think about this. Let's, you know, and this one, I happen to be a huge fan of space exploration as well as NASA. So this one, I, I am, I'm almost offended by because there are multiple, multiple news archive footages, um, articles that you can read from 1963-ish all the way up to 1969, talking about um, the development of rockets, large, you know, large stage rockets that can take us beyond Earth's uh, orbital pull and on the way to the moon. There are numerous articles regarding the moon lander and the vehicles and the command module and all of this, all of this was done in a borderline analog society. I mean, NASA was technologically advanced beyond the American public. Yes, hands down, they should be. They're a science organization. Um, they should have the best, latest, cut, most cutting edge for what they were asked to do. Now, to say that the moon landing was fake is to devalue all of the individuals who worked on the Mercury and the Apollo missions. I can't, in good conscience, lay one ounce of belief into the conspiracy theory that the moon landing was faked. Not only do we have video footage, we have photographic footage, we have color photographic footage, we have the testimony of the astronauts, we have the actual visual of the rocket going up, we have the visual of the command module orbiting while the landing module detaches. We have archive, archival footage after archival footage after archival footage. Oh, yeah. And then we have the dust and the rocks from the moon. So I don't buy this at all. Stanley Kubrick is a phenomenal director, was a phenomenal director. Clockwork Orange uh, was probably one of my favorite cult classic movies growing up as a kid. Just a really fun adventure type mind twisting movie. Um, but to think that he faked the footage for the landing. Now, again, with these conspiracy theories, when you start asking questions, you start unraveling their belief structure. So Okay, you have Stanley Kubrick, right? Which means you'd also have to have camera crews, sound people, engineers, set designers, um, costume, casting. Uh, you could go on and on and on. When you do a film, whether you're doing a indie film that you're going to show at Sundance or in Cannes, or you're doing a large budget film, there is obviously always going to be more than just the director and the actors. Stanley Kubrick was not a camera person. He understood how to frame shots and what he was looking for, but relied heavily on his camera crew to capture his inspirations. Keeping that in mind, so now we're looking at every person that worked on Mercury and Apollo in all the design and all the manufacturing and all the assembly and all the test, um, everybody being in on this large conspiracy. Okay. Then you have the director, you have the entire production staff of this said faked moon landing, um, movie that Stanley Kubrick put together for them. Yet 
from 1969 to 2021, I cannot find a single NASA employee, person that worked with Kubrick, Kubrick laying any value to this in interviews. I can't find anything. Yet, if you were to put a poll out on Instagram and say you were one of these Instagram influencers with, you know, a couple million followers, and they put a poll out and said, do you believe the moon landing was faked? What do you think the percentage would look like? I scarily think that it's got to be somewhere in the vicinity of, geez, I don't know, 30, 35%. And that blows my friggin' mind. So I got a couple of others. I noticed, I'm, you know, I looked over at the time and it looks like we're getting close. We're around 10 minutes to go. And I have so many of these that I can do. Um, I think what I'm going to do is because this was very easy for me to talk about and very easy for me to uh, to research out, I'm going to leave you with a teaser going into the next episode, okay? So I'm going to leave some of these on the table, and maybe I'll do a follow-up. might only be about a half hour or so, but I don't want these to not be spoken of, and one of them in particular is fun, and that's obviously aliens in general. Uh, aliens as it pertains to the supposed crash in 1947 of a flying saucer in Roswell, New Mexico, um, links to Area 51. There's a ton we could do. Ancient uh, discoveries worldwide that puzzle scientists. So I think we'll do that as a separate one um, because I could I could talk for hours on that. Uh, but another couple interesting, I got like, let's, let's see, one, two, three, I got three left to go over 10 minutes. Um, and then we could, you know, we could talk about a couple others that, you know, just in, 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 in short order that didn't quite make my cut, but still have a large base of the population that buy into them. Uh, the first being of the majors that are left, the FDA is withholding the cure for cancer. This idea maintains that the FDA and big pharma figuratively have figured out how to cure cancer a while back, but are not making the medicine available. While Big Pharma has not made itself many friends along the line or with the public, there is no evidence that such a vast conspiracy is possible as it would require the participation of thousands, if not millions of people in both for-profit and not-for-profit sectors. It makes more sense that selling the cure would actually make more money than less. It's also hard to believe that these evil medical professionals would not use the cure on themselves and their families, a fact that would likely come to light eventually. So keeping that in mind, I, this one, it has a, a decent sector of the population. Uh, it's usually the, you know, I hate to call them the tinfoil hat wearers because I'm sure some of you wear the tinfoil hat. Um, but I will tell you that from a from a business perspective, if you look at it, that line that I read about um, Big Pharma would arguably make far more money if they had a cure for cancer. And as we know, and sadly, it's touched so many lives, mine included, um, with a family member suffering from stage four and then beating it. Um, I can tell you that if there was a cure available, at least the medical professionals that I've interacted with through this, this process would, would give a limb for the cure for their patients. So do I believe that there is this 
nefarious group of medical professionals that have, you know, tipped the, the balance of the scales and created a cure for all cancers and they're withholding it. I guess the question would be, why would they be withholding it? You know, it, when you look at the, the, the vast array of medications to treat cancer currently and hold it at bay, if not send it into remission and then hopefully allow the body and its immune system to, to conquer this discouraging and disgusting, um, affliction, the, the, the money that would be made from a pure profits perspective over being the first with a cure makes it hard to believe that somebody like say FISA or, um, AstraZeneca or Moderna haven't, wouldn't be the first to run out there and say, we did it. We got it. We made it. You know what I mean? And people would be lining up, not to mention, again, tricky facts, fuck up a good argument. Um, the thousands, if not millions of people that would be enrolled in clinical trials, you know, no drug goes from the lab to the arm without a clinical trial to include the three vaccines that are currently in distribution for COVID-19. They had to go through. That's why this process takes time. Now, Operation Warp Speed in this current pandemic afforded the opportunity for uh, expedient trials. But even at that, we were almost 10 months from initiation to culmination for two of the three and closer to a year for the third. So wouldn't somebody say something? I don't care how good your NDA is. Um, I don't care what they promise you that they'd be paying you. I got to think that this would absolutely be blown up. So I, I lay no credence to it. I do hope that Big Pharma does find a cure for cancer. I hope that a, a federally funded laboratory has success in doing such and then takes the money away from Big Pharma and affords that that profit get to the United States government or to any world government, whether it be Germany or Italy or Spain or um, Kuwait. It doesn't matter. Whoever can do it, let's just do it. Get it done. Um, second to last one, chemtrails. This all ties back to the Alex, uh, the Alex, whatever his name is. I can't, I, I, Alex Smith um, and the InfoWars guy. He kind of was a big um, inflator of this conspiracy theory. Chemtrails says that um, it's a mainstay of when you think about conspiracy theories, chemtrails um, right, right up there at the top. So this idea says that the trails that you can spot in the sky behind planes are actually chemtrails, some kind of chemical sprayed by the government to control the population. Of course, the trails are Kong trails. They're created by a combination of vapor from the plane's engine combined with the low temperatures at high altitudes. Now, if, you know, it's hard for me sometimes because I do have a scientific brain, right? So let me ask you a question. Has it ever been cold enough where you live? Now, this doesn't obviously hit my entire base because I know that some of you live in the south, the desert southwest. Uh, some of you live in South Florida. Some of you live uh, in Europe. Some of you actually live in Africa. Um, I have in India, I have listenership across, but 
when it is cold enough, this is a science, you can do the science experiment at home if you'd like. If it's cold enough, and I'm talking like zero or lower, take a cup of boiling water, walk outside, throw it up in the air and tell me what happens. It immediately crystallizes and turns into a contrail, which is nothing more than a hot surface meeting a cold surface and creating steam. Those are what contrails are. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but jet engines run hot. And when they're way up high, it's far colder outside the plane at 32,000 feet than it is down on the ground. It might be 60 on the ground, but if you fly as often as I do and you have the screen in the seat back that tells you, you know, where your path is, it tells you your altitude, it tells you your speed, it tells you your outside temperature. The outside temperature at those altitudes is usually close to zero. So that's why you see them, folks. They're not chemical trails with some sort of government control over the population. It's or seeding the clouds for enhanced storms or to try to derail storms. That's what a chemtrail or what a contrail is. It's not a chemtrail. Um, now, every conspiracy theory has a grain of salt of truth to it, right? So where is the, the chemtrail grain of salt? Well, it has been released through the Freedom of Information Act that the CIA in the 60s and 70s looked at opportunities to seed clouds with chemicals, but they were not extruded from the plane's engines, which would create the quote-unquote chemtrail. They were actually dropped out of a C-130 through the cargo bay. Um, they tried this over and over again. It didn't really work. The Chinese government has been um, accused in recent years of trying to establish a program in which they can control the weather as well by seeding clouds to either increase a storm's um, intensity and as a warfare attack or to um, eliminate a storm, again, from a warfare perspective or from a protecting against natural, natural disaster area. However, they've been unsuccessful. And so is the U.S. government when they tried it three decades ago. Last one. Um, this one I take very personally because there's absolutely not a single grain of truth. But what blows my mind is the sheer version, uh, sheer number of people that actually believe this. And that is that the Holocaust did not happen. You would think that there would be no doubting a well-documented historical fact of over 6.5 million Jews being exterminated by the German Nazis during the course of World War II in the recent past, supported by thousands of photos, films, firsthand accounts. But there are still some people who believe the Holocaust did not happen. Only 54% of the world's population, as of 2019, has heard of the Holocaust, according to a large 100-country survey by the Anti-Defamation League. And only a third of those who have heard of it believe the Holocaust is portrayed correctly. Are you fucking kidding me? Seriously. Think about, when you think about conspiracy theories, Think about how expansive this one would have to be from a disinformation perspective. Not only do you have <clears throat> the families of this slaughtered Jewish people from World War II by the, the Nazis with their firsthand accounts. You have survivors. 
to this day. In fact, last week, I read an article about a former Nazi guard, prison guard, being deported to Germany and may possibly not face trial. He's, you know, 98 years old, but nevertheless, he was complicit in an attempt by the German government, the Nazi ruling party of the German government, to exterminate Jewish people based on faith, not on merit, not on, not on metal, but based on faith. They saw them as inferior. They wanted to create the Aryan race. And the only way to do that was to get rid of what they considered the inferior people. People, not only are there documented photos of mass graves in Germany from World War II filled with slaughtered Jewish people. There is photographic evidence. There are survivors. There are survivors' firsthand accounts. There have been films. This doesn't hold one drop of one ounce of truth in it. The Holocaust did happen. And much like, excuse me, much like 9-11, the Holocaust, Pearl Harbor, all major casualty events that have transpired in history must be taught in our schools. That's what I'm going to leave you with today. They must be taught in our schools. Our children and our children's children should not forget about this across the world. It is disgusting to me that out of a hundred country survey, only 54% of the world's population has heard of the Holocaust. It's disgusting. And to think that only a third of those who have heard of it believe that it was portrayed correctly is even more disgusting. We can do better. We can do better as a society. We can do better as a truth seeker. We can do better as a person who, who views things from the world community, from an understanding, from a, a, a sponge-like mentality of trying to take in fact and separate opinion and, and form our own. We can do better. I assure you that it was extremely horrific what the German Nazis did to the Jewish people during World War II. It was horrific and, and true and should never not be taught. It should be laid down as an example as to what we are capable of doing and what we should never do again. The Jewish people have suffered since World War II like no, one, no other segment of the world population. And to then have only 54% of the world population heard of the atrocities that transpired and only a third of that buy into it as accurately portrayed is disgusting. Educators do better. Do better. Tell the whole story. This happened. Unfortunately, it's an ugly piece of our history. You bring it closer to home. When we look at the, the southern states in the United States, there's a terrible history of slavery, a terrible history of infighting, but it's our history. Our history doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be pretty. It 
has to be true. It has to be told. And then it has to not be repeated. So I'm going to end the episode. I ran over a little bit. I don't care. Um, (laughs) I do it for fun and I have fun doing it. So my PSA for today, always seek the truth, always read things, always be open-minded. And as always, last week, I wanted to drop another podcast earlier this week to remind you all. However, we missed it, but that's okay because every day can be this day. Last week was random act of kindness week. Um, I like to think that every week should be random act of kindness week. So I challenge you. Um, each episode, I try to come up with a, a challenge. I always tell you, try to buy the coffee for the person behind you in the line at the, the drive-thru when you're getting your coffee in the morning. I'm going to up the ante this time. Do yourself a favor. I want you to go out to eat. Next time you go out to eat, when we open it up and we can go back out to eat, or if you're out to lunch and you can go to a sit-down place currently, when you're in there, pick out a pick out a table and pick up the tab. Pick up yours, but pick up somebody else's tab. You never know what kind of day that person's having. That small act, whether it be coffee, whether it's picking up someone's dinner or their lunch or their breakfast, that small act means nothing to you. It just means you're a decent person. But to the person that you're doing it to, it could be life-changing. It could continue and turn into a pay-it-forward type of scenario, which would be great. Um, Or it could have been that one thing, that one thing that took them from a very dark place to a spot in the gray. You don't know. And you won't know. You know, it's one of those things where I hearken back to Wayne Gretzky's uh, famous saying, tying a little bit of sports into this as always. Um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So take a shot. Shoot and miss. It's okay. At least you shot. When you're out, Pick up somebody's lunch, pick up their breakfast, pick up their dinner, pick up their coffee. Do something good for somebody else. I totally believe in karma. So the good you do will come back to you. And it's not that you're expecting it to come back. It just does because you set yourself into a mind space in which you're receptive to good things coming your way. As always, I'm your host, Joe Show. You've been listening to the Brain Droppings podcast. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I'll look to do this supplement follow-up where we will cover aliens because I know you all want to talk about that. Uh, We'll talk about the crash in 1947 of the Flying Saucer in Roswell, New Mexico. We'll talk about Area 51. We'll talk about my favorite show on the History Channel, Ancient Aliens. We'll talk about Giorgio Tsoukalos' incredible hair. We'll talk about ancient devices found across the world throughout time that to this day baffle some of the smartest minds in science. And we'll take a look into that. Could be a full episode, could be a half-hour supplement. In either case, I don't want to miss it. I think a few of the other conspiracy theories we'll touch at the top of that supplement will be the belief that dinosaurs never existed, regardless of how many bones we dig up. The Flat Earth Theory, my favorite people on the planet. Elvis is alive and never died. Um, Sandy Hook, paid actors, bullshit. Uh, Government fake snow in Texas. Talk about something that's topical, right? That's hitting across TikTok and Twitter this week and Instagram, people claiming that the snow is fake in Texas because it doesn't melt when you put a lighter under it. And we'll talk science on that. So tune in, Brain Droppings Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Show. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great day. See ya.